Hello and welcome to the first off-season episode of the 3-Bid League podcast. As always, I am your host, Tyler, joined by my co-host, Matt. And for the fifth consecutive episode, we're going to lead with a VCU Rams topic. And somehow we haven't run out of VCU guests to use here. We're joined by Connor Bailey of the Black and Gold Fan Pod. Connor, thank you for joining us again. Tyler, Matt, appreciate it as always, man. Um, you know, you guys had me on back in January. Uh, it was a little better news. It was right after VCU had just had a comeback win at Dayton. Uh, it was like two or three days afterwards. But uh, yeah, man, it's uh, anyone, any, all of the listeners here, you guys can probably imagine why you have me on. Um, we have a new coach, or we don't have our former coach, and it looks like we're about to have a new coach. But uh, you know, as we record this Wednesday evening, the last 72, uh, I'd say 70, close to almost 80 hours by about noon on Sunday, the last uh, three and a half days have been kind of interesting for VCU fans. A lot of deja vu, um, a lot of Twitter scrolling at work, especially on Monday and Tuesday. Uh, a lot of just, you know, going into the search section of Twitter, searching roads and having the same articles come up. Um, but since about this time, I'd say last night, it's it, it's about eight o'clock on Wednesday, we'll probably record. It's about seven seven thirty last night when Rostein officially broke the news that the offer was out because at that point there was no offers. Um, it's been a little. It, it's been mayhem. Uh, it's, it's been havoc, if you will. It, it might be retired soon, but it's been havoc, if you will, in uh, Ramland. So, but uh, I appreciate you guys having me on, and um, you know, <laughs> it's uh, VCU another coaching change. Yeah, and for everyone who's not dug deep into the Twitter sphere over the last few days, Mike Rhodes coming off of his double trophy season is headed to Penn State for, that is official, seven years, $25 million, a number that starts to make it make sense why he wanted this job. That's all done. That is 100%. What is not 100%, but looks to be about 99.9% at this point, is that VCU is going to replace him with Utah State head coach Ryan Odom. For anyone who's where that name rings a bell, he is the son of the great legendary ACC coach Dave Odom. So coming back to his mid-Atlantic roots and a big shout out to the great Hoops Weiss on Twitter who broke these stories being official a good 10 hours before absolutely everyone else in the college basketball media world. So early that I think all of the reporters who didn't give him credit probably didn't even realize that he had already put it out there. It's funny, PD Buckets, our friend at George Mason, had a tweet. I think it was either late last night or this morning. It was like, we think Hoops Weiss tweeted that and then fell asleep. Uh, and and then by the time everyone was like, hey, you weren't supposed to do that, he was already asleep. Uh, so that it, it's funny you bring up Hoops Weiss. I saw that tweet and I went back and looked because he fired it out like 10, 1030 at night. And then he tweeted like six more times. He was talking about like the McDonald's All-American game. So that dude was yeah, awake. And if someone asked him to take it down, he didn't care. And that dude has been around for so long in this business that I think he's probably earned the right to just ignore anyone not being happy about his reporting. He's so my, my question. Case, he's yeah. a lowercase tweeter. He's a funny guy. <laughs> it's just an interesting situation in that he broke the news and nobody else reported on it the rest of the night pretty much. But have either of you guys ever heard of an, a time where a coach gets announced as leaving and pretty much simultaneously the news breaks that an external hire is being made? Like sometimes you'll have like 
like Bayheim retires and they're promoting an assistant that comes out right away. But I just thought that was interesting. Like Connor, did you anticipate obviously knowing it was a strong possibility that Rhodes was on the way out, that VCU is going to make a hire so quickly. The first thing to answer your first question. uh, The only thing that's even comparable was last year. uh, St. Peter's makes a run to Mm -hmm. the elite eight. And I don't know when Maryland hired Kevin Willard. Uh, I, I know Turgeon and Maryland mutually parted ways like in December of 2021. And so they had the interim coach the whole year, but the writing was on the wall. Willard was going to be the next Maryland coach. I don't know when they hired him, but the, and then I remember Willard, didn't he, like, didn't he tweet during the tournament about how, <clears throat> about how uh, um, St. Peter, or, uh, now Seton Hall coach, Holloway, um, uh, I think, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, he said he like tweeted about him and then mm-hmm. then he got hired because he's a, he's an alum and whatnot that was probably the only instance where but but again willard was already gone so in terms of a simultaneous i, I was shocked um i will tell you and this is something that's not even breaking news anymore um uh, but on friday uh so one of the members of black and cold fan pod caleb jones our stat monster i think you guys met him uh i think he showed up late night uh, to the <laughs> bar in brooklyn when we saw we saw you guys um but I, I was getting, we, we do, uh, we're, we're in the same industry and we were having lunch Friday and I, I was driving back to my offices near VCU's campus. And this is about 115, on Friday afternoon. So just, you know, five days ago. And I looked to my right and there's a restaurant called Roots, kind of a, um, kind of a, kind of health, health food kind of place has like bowls and whatnot. And I'm at a stoplight and I see Mike Rhodes, assistants Jamal Brunt and Brett and Scott, all wearing VCU kind of sweatsuit. Clearly we're at practice or something. And former VCU assistant coach and current UNC Asheville head coach, who made the tournament this year, Mike Morrell. Uh, Mike Morrell was famous because he played football with Jason Witten in high school. Um, so when I was in college, 2011 to 2015, Mike Morrell, I believe it was there for three years. And he had Jason Witten meet No Alley Cox. And that was kind of the whole NFL kind of rumors and stuff. But I'm sitting there, I texted Caleb. I'm like, dude, uh, something kind of strange. I just, Mike Morrell's, you know, eating lunch with our staff right now. They're all, you know, I could tell he was, he was running a UNC Asheville thing. Um, didn't think much of it because the the uh, the smoke hadn't didn't start till Sunday about Rhodes and Penn State. Um, so right when that happened, I was just like, okay, this this is really random. Like Mar- I, I was thinking Morell or someone, um, but I don't know if you've kind of you've seen some tweets. I believe Nicole Auerbeck of the Athletic tweeted today that um, Ed McLaughlin, our VCU's AD, who's been there since 2012, uh, is my sophomore year. Good AD. He I know he worked at American. I didn't know when, but he was at American in the early 2000s as an assistant AD. And Ryan Odom was assistant then. So they have a relationship. So it sounds like it's been in the works, I guess. I, I don't know all the detail. I, I know as much details as anyone else. I just, it, it was funny to me that I saw the staff eating lunch with a former coach who's a head coach at UNC Asheville on Friday. And now we don't, and they're all wearing VCU stuff. It was, it was kind of out of the blue, but I've never seen in my life a coach kind of take a job and a coach kind of get hired before, verbally hired before the coach actually leaves. It was, uh, it was strange. Well, and there was a brief, like, two-hour period on Sunday where it looked like Rhodes to Penn State was going to happen a lot quicker than it did. And the first name that actually popped up was a different former VCU assistant with the same first name in the same state. It was actually Mike Jones of UNC Greensboro that Mm -hmm. was the name that was kind of first quickly tossed out there as the replacement. And it would have made some sense, like, keep the – keep growing out the tree. VCU just hires guys who used to be assistant coaches there. Odom will be the one who kind of breaks that trend from the Shaka group now. But yeah, you're right. It, it was very quick on Odom. And 
honestly, we're recording this Wednesday night. I assume that by the time a good chunk of people listen to this, Ryan Odom will be the VCU coach. And I'm kind of figuring that at this point, they're just trying to follow the unwritten rule of you have to pretend that you weren't actively interviewing this guy before your coach officially left. And also pretend that you conducted the, and this is my favorite phrase now, the nationwide search. Um, I want one of these small schools to conduct a region, announce they're conducting a regional search one of these days. Like maybe like Maine or Chicago State could do that. But yeah, you have to pretend that you conducted your search. So they got to drag this thing out a few days. But I, I, I'm just going to assume that this is done until some sort of cross our fingers that it doesn't happen. Some sort of Pat Kelsey situation happens. That's definitely something I thought of. Um, I, I, I don't, you know, I'm, it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, we have, do you see almost experience that with Anthony Grant in 2007, actually a Pat Kelsey situation. Did I ever tell you, did you ever hear about that story? Um, I, I feel like I've heard this had to do with Billy Donovan. Yes. Potentially going to the NBA, right? Yes, year one, um, 0607 season, VCU wins the CAA, beat Duke in the first round. Uh, Florida wins bat- their second of two straight NCAA tournaments. Uh, so that happens, you know, two weeks after the, you know, about, what, 17 days roughly after VCU beats Duke. Um, three or four days later, he takes the Orlando Magic job. Um, and, like, four- the rumor has it is Anthony Grant, who was a 10-year assistant at Florida, was, like, the hottest assistant coach on the market in 2006, uh, was on a – was on a flight down to Gainesville. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, we thought Grant was a one and done at VCU. Um, so, like I said, you mentioned a Pat Kelsey-UMass situation, uh, which is actually also funny because I was I was told by an insider of VCU in 2007 or 2017 that Mike Rhodes, when he was at Rice, UMass, offered him the head coaching job. And Rice was still in the CI, I think the CIT or the CBI. Um, and he told them, hey, let me play this out a little bit. Kind of like what's happening in North Texas right now with mm-hmm. uh, Grant. Mc- I was going to pronounce his last name, but uh, it, t- it seems like he's going to go to Texas Tech, but they're still playing in NIT. But uh, apparently Rice was still playing in the CIT, um, so he didn't take the UMass job. And then Will Wade left to go to LSU in 2017 and <laughs> VCU hired Road. So, so it's kind of a random circle. But, uh, yeah, it, it feels like Ryan Odom's, you know, verbally there. I know, uh, Tyler, you mentioned kind of, you know, by the time we have listeners on Thursday or Friday, uh, he'll be the coach. There's something with the buyout. It sounds like the either the 31st, just Friday, or the first, which is Saturday, there's some kind of buyout situation where I don't know if it can't uh, time on as we speak. So, it, yeah, I was going to say We just this. have some news. The maybes <laughs> and the asterisks are gone. Uh, Ryan Odom is the head coach of the VCU Rams. So we can yeah. quit speaking in hypotheticals here. Okay, so as of, you know, after 8 p.m. on a Wednesday evening, uh, yeah, Ryan Adams, coach of ECU. Um, so, yeah, we can stop doing the hypotheticals. Uh, it is – it's weird, man. Um, you know, a week and a half – a little over two weeks ago, I was having fun at the Barclays Center. I was crying because um, it was kind of an emotional time with my friends and, and whatnot, and now we have a new coach. So, <laughs> Well, maybe this isn't the best time to ask the question now that it's officially official, but – Going through this whole process, and obviously, unfortunately, you've been through it a couple times as a VCU fan, getting a new coach, but knowing the possibility that Mike Rhodes was going to be leaving, was Odom someone that you had on your radar? Was there anyone in particular that you were really, like, thought could be a good fit for the Rams? Or, I I guess, just in general, how do you feel about this? It's a great question. Um, 
when Coach Smart was BC's head coach, uh, we dealt with Shaka Watch every year. Um, I know uh, Dayton fans dealt with uh, Archie Watch for multiple years. Um, and every year I was like, oh, you know, we'll probably just promote assistant, we'll promote Will Wade, promote Mike Rhodes. Um, and then when Coach Smart left in 2015 as my senior year, Rhodes was an assistant at Rice, or was a head coach at Rice for one year. Wade was a head coach at Chattanooga for two years. So I figured it'd be one of those two. I figured they wanted someone with experience. Um, and then when Wade left, I was his second year, 2016, 2017, the whole year, I thought Clemson was going to fire Brownell. And six years later, they still haven't. I thought they were going to fire Brownell. And he's a Clemson grad. So my, a couple of friends and I were like, hey, let's keep, keep tabs on Clemson. I could see him taking that job. Then LSU opens up and he takes the job. And I said right away, Mike Rhodes. Is going to, like he, he needs to take the job. It's funny. Uh, our friends uh, over in St. Louis, West Pine Bills, I guess they're in Chicago, but St. Louis fans, West Pine Bills tweeted like last week when the Penn State rumors were um, kind of popping up. This is like before the smoke this mm-hmm. Saturday, Sunday. This is like after Shrewsbury took the Notre Dame job and they tweeted something funny. It was like, uh, country roads, take me home, Penn State. <laughs> and I like posted a picture of my Facebook status from like six years ago where I literally said, country roads take me home to the school where i belong when he came to a vcu so yeah it's we're all hoop fans we do weird stuff but um i'll be honest um i thought i've, I've seen Adams odom's name uh you know put around and stuff i was sort of strange he went to utah state just kind of not not in the mid-atlantic where he's used to um heck if you go on the richmond boards they they, they i mean we know richmond fans uh you know coach mooney it sounds like he's doing pretty well now with his heart but uh, i know richmond fans have had you know, the relationship's kind of weird and they kind of wish they had a new coach, but he's mentioned on their boards all the time. Um, Odom didn't come up to me at all. I didn't even think about it until someone, I think it was Trilly Donovan, that Twitter account. It's kind of like a coaching changes account. Mm-hmm. They tweeted, it's the meme of the guy who's walking with his girlfriend or whatnot, and there's the lady walking by him and he's staring at her, that meme. And it was a picture. It was, the guy was uh, BCU, or no, the, the guy was, I guess the guy was VCU. And it was Mike Rhodes was the girl, the girlfriend essentially walking. And then it was uh, Ryan Odom walking by. And this is like Sunday. And I'm like, huh? That, so that was the first time I, I, I had not even processed the information. Um, and then, heck, Tuesday night, it turns to Odom. And, um, yeah, he's the – as of uh, Wednesday evening, he's the new VCU head coach. Yeah, and I always kind of assumed that he took the Utah State job just to get himself out of the America East because unless you're – and I was going to say, unless you're John Becker at Vermont, but he's still at Vermont after all these years, and you've dominated that level for so long, it's basically impossible to make the jump directly to a VCU-level job. And if he wanted to stay in the mid-Atlantic area, now he's looking at, well, can he go get something really good in the CAA and let that be the stepping stone? Like, it's kind of a weird transition from that point. Utah State was probably just a better job than anything that would have been available to him at that time. And now you see this was probably a multi-step thing all along. He gets to come settle in at the type of place that would have made sense from him for him from day one. That makes sense. Um, he was probably keeping tabs on like GW. Heck, it sounds like, I don't know if George Mason offered him since Kim English has been has left Providence, I know there were. I don't know if I don't know if the offer actually happened, but there's been there was. I saw a tweet saying there was a contact within between George Mason and Ryan Adam. Whether that's a how real that was, I know some George Mason fans have been making jokes on Twitter, basically saying how how VCU George Mason would it be if 
you know, he declined George Mason and went to VCU and then VCU goes like seven and zero against George Mason. But um, yeah, that, that makes sense. Utah State, very good basketball program, um, a niche, a niche fan base, uh, a weird, kind of an odd market for basketball, but they're very, very good basketball program. Um, in terms of winning, very comparable to VCU. VCU's got a little more, a little more national brand um, and a little more, really it's just a final four run, but uh, a little, a little more, uh, more NBA players, I'd say, but a very good basketball program and a good conference, a conference that's been better than the A-10 the last two years. Um, it went for years, we were kind of neck and neck. So that's probably the big reason you mentioned Utah State. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. Uh, it's, it's, been, it's only been about a couple of days of knowing he's probably the guy and only been about 15 minutes of him being the actual head coach. So there's plenty to dive into, uh, but I'm excited and it's, uh, it's still a little surreal to me. Yeah, and you bring that up about the comparison between the Mountain West and the A-10. I mean, I've been thinking about it, and I promise everybody this isn't me trying to stir the pot or take a shot at VCU, but given where the Mountain West and A-10 are, it does kind of feel like this is a lateral move for Odom. And I mean, that's just giving credit to Utah State, too. They've been in a lot of tournaments recently. They're a winning program. Utah and... State was literally a better seed in the tournament than VCU was this year. So. Oh, you, were... Utah State would have crushed the A-10. They would have probably been better than VCU and won the league outright. They were probably, really good. Probably. <laughs> but uh, I, no, I, no, I, I think I, it has to be a location thing for him, too. Just getting back and to his a, roots. And a little bit of, little bit of cash, too. It sounds that, like... That doesn't hurt. Sounds like he was making, I don't know the exact numbers, but it sounds like he was making a little less than a one mil at Utah State. Um, and I think he's going to at least double that at VCU. Um, similar if he was if similar if he was going to Dayton or, or St. Louis. Um, so that's kind of the one thing. In terms of program, I do, it's definitely, you know, definitely not a step down, lateral, lateral or a, a tad of a brand name step up. But like you said, Mountain West has been better. It, they're comparable per, comparable conferences. Heck, we almost we almost had a little alliance a couple of years ago that like, never mm-hmm. happened. Um, kind of wish that would happen again. But um, it, in terms of compare, comparable programs, but the last two years the Mountain West has had the leg up. There's no there's no way around it. Yeah. So we'll dive into Ryan Odom's bio here. He was at UMBC for five years. Obviously, best known for orchestrating the first ever sixteen over one upset over VCU in 2018, but he had three 21 seasons there. UMBC's only experienced that five times in total as a school in their days at Division I. Uh, went 14-6, and six, was the American East co-regular season champion in his last season there, which was the shortened COVID year. Probably would have won 20 games again in that. Went over to Utah State. They had a little bit of a quick rebuild in year one, and then this season gets them into the tournament as a 10 seed. And this is a guy who's executed a pretty quick turnaround on two different programs right now. And now walks in the door. We'll see what happens with the portal. He could be inheriting a pretty good roster straight from the start with high expectations. But Connor, what have you dug up in your Ryan Odom research talking to other VCU fans. What are you prepared to see from this guy as a coach over these next few years? Uh, great question. Um, you look at you, – I'm looking at his Wikipedia page right now and his coaching, uh, his coaching history and uh, been scrubbing that the last few days. Uh, this is kind of interesting that he's definitely the most experienced head coach we've hired since VCU hired Sonny Smith in 1989, who coached at Auburn in the 80s with Charles Barkley. Most of our guys that have been assistants 
or had minimal experience like Coach Rhodes, uh, Will Wade, guys like that. Um, you, you mentioned the 2017-2018 win over UVA. I remember watching – so the uh, America East has their conference championship on the Saturday of Selection Sunday weekend. It's always at 11 a.m. too. It's usually at Vermont, and I remember watching that game. It was at Vermont. Uh, we we're my dad, brother, and I were about to head to the A10 semifinals. I think that's Rhode Island the year they were the one seed versus St. Joe's. And Jarius Lyles, BCU transfer, hits a three to win the game against Vermont. He goes on and has 26 points against UVA. And I'm watching the UVA game with my now fiance UVA grad. Um, and that was that was just a crazy game, but a crazy win for him. Um, you mentioned you know his his history, good good wins across the board at UMBC and Utah State. UMBC is not an easy place to win at. Um, something that our friends Matt, uh, my friend Matt Shelton at uh, BCRM Nation tweeted. Uh, so he's a big analytics guy, Matt is, and he tweeted that Ryan Odom at Utah State has a director of men's basketball analytics um, on the U- on the Utah State page right now. And if, I, I don't want to refresh it because I got a feeling it's going to go away in a second. Um, so that's something I'm, I'm looking at analytic wise. Uh, Mike Rhodes is a very good coach. Uh, he's a good coach, I'll say. One thing that was very obvious is that oddly, are all, despite having what I thought were guys that had that should be good offensive players. Analytically, we're not good. Our best Ken Palm year of the offense was the 2020-2021 season when we had an NBA first-rounder, and our Ken Palm offense was 122. Utah State this past year was Ken Palm offense 16. Ken Palm defense 70. (laughs) So we'll see how the styles change. Um, I don't think, you know, I don't think all of a sudden we're going to be looking like Davidson <laughs> or Richmond running a completely slow offense. And if you look at Utah State last year, Ken Palm 60 overall, BC was 63, uh, both NIT teams, their offense was 55 and defense was 68. So a little more balanced. We were, BC was very balanced in the Will Wade era, um, top 75, not great, not like Mike Rhodes, elite, elite defense or Shaka Smart, elite, elite defense or Anthony Grant and Dayton having the number two, what was it the number two Ken Palm? offense a few three years ago mm-hmm. not having like a crazy uh and, and he was at vcu in 2007 uh, we had the 18th ranked ken palm offense so nothing elite elite just very good across the board um so that's something i'm looking at a little more analytically driven i didn't feel like our coaches have the last you know they've been up for six years especially the last four to five years when they've had the players to win uh offense was ugly at times <laughs> There's no way to get around it. And I'm kind of looking forward to seeing, uh, uh, not saying Odom's going to come in there and have a top 50 offense next year, but a, a, a new idea, a breath of fresh air, if you will. Yeah, and I don't think we exactly know what his style and what VCU is going to look like just yet because we need to wait and see how many VCU guys stay next year, if any Utah State players follow Odom back to Richmond. Sadly, uh, Taylor Funk's out of eligibility. Yeah, yeah thank yeah, goodness. After, after, <laughs> after 15 years there. Yeah, but um, I, the thing that really jumps out to me on the defensive side of the ball, Utah State, it's all a defensive team, like you mentioned, but one of the worst teams are close to the bottom in forcing turnovers and coming up with steals. So a much <laughs> different defensive style than what we've seen from VCU the last couple of years. I'm just curious, like Tyler and I and A10 fans, we've seen VCU back to the shock of smart days and that's always been such an aggressive team with the press. And, you know, some fans would call it a lot of fouling. Maybe VCU fans would just call it good defense. But when's the last time there was a VCU team that maybe sat back more on defense and just tried to force missed shots? Is that something you'd have to go back to Anthony Grant for or even earlier than that? Will Wade's defense was a tad different 
I mean, he still had a lot of the same roster guys. He didn't mm-hmm. press as much, but we also had his first year. We had Jaquan Lewis. Boy, well, yeah, Jaquan Lewis both years. We also had Doug Brooks both years getting steals. So we were still constantly getting steals. We just didn't press as much. Um, Anthony Grant's defense was a little different when he was at VCU, um, especially the last two years. Eric Maynard kind of had the – I think it happens with Dron, – Dron Holmes is a great defender, but I'm sure there's times when Anthony Grant says, do not play defense that hard for the next few minutes. We cannot let you foul right now. Um, and he would just tell Eric Maynard, do not foul. So if someone if someone if someone's got the taking the ball to the rack, do not foul. We need you in the game. You average 20 points a game. Um, so I would say probably the Grant era. Um, so that's going to be intriguing. And, and like I said, I don't see it all of a sudden becoming Davidson offense or or Belmont or, or, or Princeton offense, all this very methodical, because um, he knows the program he's, he's going to. I imagine he knows the kind of players he's going to recruit. He's probably going to recruit similar style players that he did at UMBC, just probably ranked higher. Um, but it'll be interesting if, you know, next year we're a top 50, top 75 defense, but we're like not generating steals. That'll be, that'll feel weird as a VCU fan. That's the case. I mean, strange. <laughs> yeah. And it'll feel strange if this team can actually shoot from the outside, which is yep. big signature of Ryan Odom teams. Like I had discussed in a piece that everyone can still go check out on busting brackets. If they'd like uh, five storylines for the a 10 off season. One of them deep was deeply embedded in the idea that Mike Rhodes was coming back this year. So go ahead and discard that, but talked about how VCU was absolutely going to find themselves on the hunt for another David Shriver type, some sort of stretch for probably an older guy who can handle some rebounding duties, but is really just there to be the sniper for the team. I expect for Ryan Odom to come in and, Assuming that he probably will not be able to keep this full roster intact, that there will be a few spots opening up, I expect him to come in and really try to hammer the market for shooters. Uh, he he found a, a – I VCU fans are going to be very unhappy that I say this right now, but found a better version of Shriver last year at Utah State in Taylor Funk. Like, it's certainly the type of player that he's looking to have too, but – I would expect to see VCU pick up multiple veteran shooters out of the portal now that Odom's there. Looking at Odom's history, um, heck, 2017 and then 2018, the year they beat UVA in the first round, they had top 50 three-point percentage offense in Ken Palm. Dipped a little bit the next two years, I imagine, for graduations and whatnot. But his first year at Utah State, top 150, and then this year, 15th in Ken Palm offense, three-point specific. Um, So that's something that is very intriguing to watch. You know, even when VCU's – scoring has kind of been shaky at times there you typically we've had good three-point shooters over the years um heck we had a you know we had bad shooting team two years ago and vince williams still shot like 41 percent from three um so that is intriguing um one thing i'll say and, and our friend pd buckets from george mason uh tweeted after vcu lost to sam aries he's like i got some thoughts on the vcu program and a lot of things he said were right he was like i, I got the utmost respect for how much they win but he said their style especially the current style i don't know how well it translates to march um, you can't win if you can't D up in March. If you can't shoot in March, I just I think your cap is like one game, maybe a win if you if you have a good matchup. Um, but if you can't shoot the rock or or, or efficient shooting the ball, I think there's a cap to how good of a team you have. Uh, so that's that's something I'm gonna be intrigued on. I know you know a stat I was gonna focus on for next year is how, how well VCU shot the ball. And this is before Rhodes left, but how 
well, VCU, how many wins VCU would get their record when Shriver would make a certain amount of threes or VCU would make a certain percentage of threes. And if they didn't, if their, their shooting percentage was low this year, that was a stat I was going to carry over to next year and be like, hey, you know, we are, in the first three games of the year, if we have three for 11, there's a better chance we're going to lose. But if we go six for 13, there's a better chance we're going to win, that kind of thing. So that is something I'm very, very interested in how early on the portal, uh, internally at VCU and externally in the portal, freshman recruiting, how Odom's going to do. Yeah, and I lost track of the total number of wins by the end of the season, but it was somewhere in the teens. VCU lost one game last year where David Traver made multiple threes. It was Arizona State, a tournament team, when Ace didn't play. And that was it. So, yeah, it's a good point you make there. And PD's point is is a pretty solid one, too. I still feel like VCU could have won the St. Mary's game had Ace not gotten hurt because their offense kind of stunk without him, but it was at least scoring enough to overcome a St. Mary's team that was shooting extremely poorly themselves at the time too, except for Dukas. And then you came back and saw it two days later where Dukas gets hurt in the first half against UConn and St. Mary's in the second half of that game would have been lucky to have a VCU level shooting night. So the Gales were a bad shooting team as well. And, VCU was kind of winning the defensive rock fight with them, but if they had shot at that same level against UConn, had they made it past St. Mary's, they would have gotten massacred. Agreed. <laughs> so, I'm curious for your guys' thoughts, and I guess we can talk about it more openly now that he's out of the A-10, but I, I did think Petey had some great points on maybe if there was a ceiling with what VCU could accomplish because of Rhodes struggles on offense but like you mentioned Connor he's never had a top 100 Ken Palm offense in the A-10 just your instant reaction how do you think he's going to do moving up to a big 10 because that was always one of my thoughts I felt like he was the perfect guy that could keep winning at a mid-major as he has been the past six years but I just wondered you think he's going to be a good fit in the conference like the big 10 uh great question um not to answer your question, the first thing I've had people ask me, like, you know, why do you think he did it? Well, you know, seven years, 25 million. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say now. Really you know, he's from Pennsylvania, too. Um, and his son's going to be a freshman at Colgate next year playing football. He's a quarterback. Uh, not that close to Penn State's campus, but it's like three and a half hours, my understanding. It's in the cold somewhere. I know that. Um, <laughs> we'll see. You know, his style – might translate okay to the Big Ten because it's ugly and guys are big. And if you watch a Big Ten game, there's a lot of fouling and the bodies on the floor. Um, I don't know. Uh, Penn State, you know, first off, you know, you, you know, you, you do what you want in your life. Uh, it's, you know, the, the jobs we've seen former coaches go to Oklahoma, Texas, excuse me, Oklahoma, Alabama, Texas, and LSU in order. Football schools, all of them had basketball success to different variations at different times, but all have had basketball success in my lifetime. Penn State really hasn't. Uh, 2011, I remember Taylor Battle was a baller. Uh, they would have made the tournament in 2020 as like a five or six seed, and then this year they were a 10 seed and won a game, but it's just there's not a following there. Uh, women, Both women's and men's volleyball and wrestling are bigger sports than basketball, even though the arena is pretty big. I, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm a little – I. I he might do okay. He might win. He might do something like Brad Brownell, where he makes NITs and stuff at a at a 
at a football school and that's good enough. Um, I had the least confidence there. I, I was worried every, I was worried every form of coach of VCU would go on and kick, kick some butt elsewhere. And I'd just be, you know, kind of shaking my head saying, Oh, that could have been us. And, you know, the only coach who's really, really succeeded elsewhere was Will Wade and he had a little issue with a cell phone. <laughs> so it didn't work out for him. Um, but like Shaka, Anthony Grant all had success. Uh, capable, great recruiter recruited uh, Blake Griffin to Oklahoma. It was a two seed, but none of them had sustained sustained success. I think Rhodes is is in for the biggest challenge at a school that doesn't really watch but care about basketball. That is, I think his style can can relate to the Big Ten, but if he doesn't have shooters, I mean, how is he going to win a game on a Thursday a Thursday ESPN two game at nine o'clock in January in Wisconsin when the score is like thirty eight to thirty four with like five minutes left? Is he going to have the shooters to win that game? And that's that's kind of the big question I have. <laughs> well, fun little thing now with the new TV contracts kicking in and where Penn State sits in the Big Ten hierarchy, we're going to get plenty of Mike Rhodes 11 a.m. on Peacock uh, while we're all waiting for the Premier League games to finish up and the A-10 triple headers to start. Uh, but I can't, Matt, to answer your question, it is the right conference for him to do that. And I kind of kind of thought about it this way. You give Mike Rhodes a bunch of Big Ten level athletes and he coaches them up to play the great defense that he is known for. And now all of a sudden, all he has to do is just win eight rock fights every conference season. Because if you just go eight and ten in the Big Ten every year, you're just gonna keep making the NCAA tournament. And for Penn State standards, like if Rhodes comes in and makes four NCAA tournaments in the duration of that seven year contract. That's an unbelievable win for them. That's way better than what they've gotten this century. And as long as the committee continues to reward mediocrity in a conference that will never win in March again, like he's in a perfect spot. He'll just keep racking up tournaments or worst case, like Connor said, that's, that's a record that'll get you like a two seed in the NIT. Well, yeah, and I think that's a good point, too. Like, VCU fans can ask, oh, why why would Mike Rhodes leave a good thing for a school that doesn't care? Well, that's exactly it. The Big Ten gets handed so many tournament bids, and you, you got to think for Rhodes. And, like, we were sitting in these press conferences. We knew how disgruntled he was with the net system and how VCU won 27 games, went 15-3 and three in the A-10, and they yeah. would have been... No, he just went 17 yeah, exactly. He wasn't mm-hmm. getting in the tournament, though. Like, as much as we tried to vouch for VCU, like, they would have probably been not even an NIT one seed if they didn't beat Dayton on Selection Sunday. Probably so, two or three. Probably had two or three in the NIT. <laughs> yeah, which is crazy that you can win 27 games and still be on the outside looking in. But, and this is like another <laughs> discussion for probably later over the summer, but is the A10's weakness the last couple of years? Like, is that going to hurt? retaining any good coaches that we have I, I don't know but I, I think just he has to look at how much easier it is to make the tournament in the Big Ten even if it's one of the bottom feeders or historical worst teams in that conference there's still a lot more paths to get there I would say yeah and, and yes it's gonna hurt but that's a May-June discussion uh, mm-hmm. and to kind of close out the Rhodes discussion, uh, and I'd like to hear both of your thoughts on this too. Like, I- I've spent the last few days kind of thinking, like we've been hinting at, why do you take this job if you're Mike Rhodes? Like, it's a pretty low-level Power 5 job. 
you are bringing back most of your team from the A-10 champions conceivably. And so all of a sudden, if you can win back-to-back, if you can get that elusive first-round tournament win next year, now you might be in line for something better. Now, this was before I saw the money. And if you're going to get paid that much to go take a step up and go back closer to home, then, yeah, you'd probably just take it. Like, that's a ridiculous amount of money for a program that's probably never going to win 25 games with him there. And that's not as much of a shot at Rhodes as it is just a shot at getting basketball players to come play at Penn State. Like, the facilities are on the lower end of the Big Ten. They're in the middle of nowhere of Pennsylvania. Like, you're nowhere near any big cities. And it's kind of a tough job. But I started going through and thinking about it. Because I don't think Rhodes would ever leave unless it was for something in a power conference in the Mid-Atlantic or the Atlantic Coast region. He'd want to stay close to his roots of Pennsylvania or Virginia. Like, I don't think he's going back to Texas again. And I was trying to run through, like, okay, so he wins big next year. What's available? And unless, like, Wake Forest, NC State, or Virginia Tech are surprisingly really bad next year, because I think they all probably got to be pretty bad for their coaches to get canned. Like, they're kind of teetering. It probably takes two bad years. Those aren't opening up. Maryland, Georgetown, Villanova, Seton Hall, those all just got filled. Rutgers is in a spot where Pacale is not good enough to get a better job, but he's way too good to ever get fired there. And so you start looking around like, okay, Clemson very well could be open. Is Clemson that much better than Penn State to change for Rhodes to leave the geography he's comfortable in? Probably not. And the only job I could think of that real that has a chance to be open. And this is one where I think it would take a pretty bad season for their coach to get fired. The only definitively better job that he could probably get next year would have been Pitt. And Capel just made the second round of the tournament. They're losing a lot of guys. And their current athletic department is very, very patient with their coaches at all sports right now. So I think it would take probably another bottom three season in the ACC for him to even get canned, but like that might have been the only better job he could have been looking at next year. For years, I've said Penn State and Villanova were the two spots. Not that Villanova was that likely, um, but because he's, he has the Pennsylvania roots. Um, first thing you mentioned, Wake Forest. Oh, there's already been jokes on, about VCU about how Ryan Odom, if he if he has success in four years, he's gonna be the Wake Forest coach because his dad coached there. So, so VCU fans are already on the joke train with Ryan Odom and Wake Forest, but um. I think something I think Rhodes looked at was, did I just have my best coaching job ever? The last, you know, they were five and four and they went 22 and three to, to till selection Sunday before they lost to St. Mary's. Did I just have my best coaching job ever? And can I, is it feasible to do that again in the A-10? Uh, not saying eight, we, we don't know how good the A-10 is going to be this upcoming year, but is this my time? Should I strike when oil's hot? And that's kind of my belief on why he took the job. Um, that's that's it. I think he might have just thought he this was his can be his best coaching job ever. Um, maybe he knows guys were going to enter the portal anyway. Um, and kind of like what you said, there's just no jobs popping out at you right away. And uh, why not go back home to a program where, you know, it's a seven year deal. So 
the first three years are as long as he doesn't do anything wrong or there's no problems at the school, the first three years are are gonna be a given. They're just not gonna fire him off the bat. But say in the first four years he makes an NIT, makes a tournament, and has a couple of 17 and 14 seasons, he's probably fine and he's got a lot of money. So I think that big reason is uh stability at a program that's not gonna try to fire him after two years. And the fact that maybe he thought this was his um just strike when the oil's hot, and uh, this is his best time to. Th- th- this was his best job he could do at VCU. Yeah, Connor, I think you're exactly right. And look, if Mike Rhodes came back, VCU is going to be the preseason number one next year. They might be anyway because they're bringing in a great coach, and we'll see who's back on the team. But just ask Travis Ford, ask Anthony Grant, ask Mark Schmidt. Even with Ace Baldwin, Jaden, and all these guys coming back for VCU. You never know when you're going to win the conference again. It's no guarantee you're going to get back to the tournament. So I think you're right. And we've just seen that so many times, especially, I mean, the last three years, it's been ridiculous how defending champions have struggled so much in the A-10. But yeah, I I think he had a tremendous season at VCU, the way they finished and how they ran away with the conference. And it was going to be hard to replicate that, even with a, a talented team coming back. So he definitely he could have had an even better season next year with the Rams and elevated his stock even higher. But you have to wonder, like, how much higher could it have even gone from coming off such a great season? Yeah, and Connor, you mentioned the security and what he probably needs to accomplish to ride out that whole contract. Pat Chambers was there eight years without an NCAA tournament appearance. He only made the NIT once. Now, granted, they won the NIT. But eight years at a Power 5 school without an NCAA tournament appearance, year nine, I'm pretty sure they would have made it. That was the year the tournament got canceled. Yeah, like an NCAA succeed, maybe. Yeah. yeah, he was headed back for year 10. The only reason he got fired is he did a bunch of inappropriate stuff off the court. But like, Yeah, didn't Ferry, the old Duquesne coach? Yep, he yes, did, he did. He was the interim coach, he was the interim coach right? Well, also, like, Ferry, the current UMBC coach, if we want right. to stick that, with the Odom connection. But, yeah, six, six degrees, man. Chambers was 148 and 150 there. And that's because his two best years were years seven and nine. Like he went, here's his big 10 finishes his first six years, 11th, 12th, 10th, 13th, 10th. And he didn't get fired. Some Billy Lang (laughs) magic right there. That's, that's worse than Billy Lang. At least Billy Lang won bat one, uh, two, eight, 10 tournament games in year four. Chambers didn't even do anything that impressive. So yeah, it's that what you just said is a big reason why. Um, lower pressure. Um, so it's and the money is huge, but money sometimes isn't. You know, money can sometimes be even gravy. Uh, there a lot of it's opportunity and um, and just knowing. You know, VCU made the NIT last year, and not, not that he was on the hot seat after the 2022 season, but a lot of VCU fans thought we were a tournament caliber caliber team that last year with uh, Vince Williams, Keyshawn Curry, and whatnot. And I think he, he felt some heat starting the year five and four. Um, and I think he just maybe he, he's you know, he's 52 years old. He's not an up-and-comer. Maybe he realized, hey, this is my one chance to coach in a P5 program. He grew up in Pennsylvania. He probably, probably watched Pitt, Villanova, um, other Big E schools growing up, and, hey, this is my one chance to coach in the P5, and let's go for it. So, Connor, we'll wrap it up here. 
We'll take it back to your new coach. The door is closed on the Mike Rhodes era at VCU. It is now the Ryan Odom era. And the biggest thing that makes this quite possibly not that terrible of a week for VCU is this question that I want to close it out with. So I'm sure you spent some time thinking about candidates. This went by really quick, but the level of diehard VCU fan you are, I'm sure you had three or four names in your head that you would have liked to see have a chance to get this job. Is there another guy that is on a similar tier or maybe you think is above Ryan Odom that you think VCU could have gotten? The first name I posted on the VCU forum yesterday was Chris Mack. Um, it's Who had already like... said he wasn't going to coach this year, though. He I did not take know another that. year off. Yep. It's not, I think he has a daughter who's a, like a big volleyball player. Apparently she's like a senior and I think she's a junior. No. Yeah. I think he's a, I think she's a junior and he wants to like make sure he sees her senior, senior year volleyball trips or something. Yeah. Do exactly um, so what right, Archie didn't do. Yeah. So I said Chris Mack right God, away. Just I mean, when I thought Dayton couldn't hate VCU anymore. Can you imagine that possibility oh my, though? Oh, yeah. part, I mean, part of Chris, exact, well, and Chris yeah. Mack knows he'll be the DePaul coach next year. So, or two years from now, sorry. But carry on, Connor. He, he, he was the first name I thought of. And then Twitter, Bram Nation right away basically clarified that. A few Dayton fans clarified that because I think they've been kind of keeping keeping his uh, keeping his name up there. Um, I had a good friend of mine, my buddy Patrick. He he sent the um, he sent me the meme earlier today. He hadn't he hadn't seen the Ryan uh, Odom news, but he sent me the meme of Grant the Road St. Louis game in 2022 where he's just nodding his head like with his li- in his lips is kind of like. I think it's after the whole Jordan or Jet kind of thing yeah. happening. He's just so he sent me that gif earlier. And I was like, not I was like, I love AG, but not gonna happen. Um, so Mac was obviously the first one. Um I never thought of AG. He just kind of forwarded that way. Mike Morell came up because he was assistant and he coached at UNC Asheville. But it was more because I saw him last Friday eating eating food with our coaching staff. Um, so Mac's the first guy that came to mind. Um Brian Odom did not come to mind. Um, as soon as I saw his name, I said, Ooh, like, it was kind of, oh, okay. And then I was texting some friends, and they're like, oh, I feel like he's probably an up-and-comer. And I was like, you know, he's got the nice touch of gray, little Tony Bennett hair. Dude's four years younger than Mike Rhodes. No, two years younger than Mike Rhodes, I believe. <laughs> he, like, looks he looks like he's, like, 12 years younger, but he's, like, 48 or so years old. Um, you know, not saying he's a lifer by any means. We know that as VCU fans, but he – I bet that dude, his dad coached at two P uh, two P five schools. He coached at Wake Forest. Coached my favorite player of all time, T- Tim Duncan, in college. I bet he went to coach at a P five school, and he felt that VCU is a a the, the chance to get him there. Um, so, but to answer your question, it was Chris Mack right away. But I, again, I did not know that information that he wants to sit out this cycle one more time. But like you said, he's he's keeping his eye on the other potential jobs that are a year from now. Yeah, but that's the whole point that I was leading to is these were pie in the sky ideas. I don't think VCU could have done any better this week than to get Ryan Odom. A guy who's now had really good success at an equivalent level mid-major now to go with the fact that he has a ton of recruiting ties in the area, orchestrated one of the great upsets of all time, and he's won a lot of games at two different places. And uh, unless you're picking up some, like, disgraced fired p5 coach that's not coming to mind for me that's about the most successful of a guy that you're going to be able to get he is an assistant all but on the east coast Furman. 
UNC Asheville, American, Virginia, Virginia Tech for seven years. Uh, and like I said, Americans where he got to know BCU's athletic director, Ed McLaughlin, uh, real well. Another thing I'd point out is he played basketball at Hickman Sydney and not a household name. It's a Division three school in Farmville or outside of Farmville, Virginia, which is where Longwood University is located. They made the tournament in 2022. That's about an hour and 20 minutes from downtown Richmond. Uh, it's in the boonies. It's it's a ways away. Um, Hampton Sydney is the arch rival of Randolph Macon, where R- Coach Rhodes played in, or uh, excuse me, coached at for years. Um, a name I'd watch out for on the coaching staff for VCU: Tony Shaver was a longtime coach at both Hampton Sydney and William and Mary. When VCU was in the CAA, William and Mary, he was William and Mary's head coach, excellent coach. For some odd reason, he got fired from William and Mary. I want to say 2016. I don't know what he's doing now, but it wouldn't surprise me if Ryan called him up and said, hey, you ran beautiful offense at William Mary with guys that had like five, 5.5 GPAs and had no athleticism compared to the VCU players. Can you help me out? It's just kind of all an off-the-wall one, but someone I'd keep my eye on to be an assistant, a guy who's kind of like hiring a Michigan hiring Phil Martelli, someone with a lot of experience. Hey, you know, things didn't work out as he was a head coach for reasons they shouldn't have at your university, but let's, let's try you out here. Um, so I think VCU did a great job. It's just crazy how it seems like it was known <laughs> like four days ago that this was happening. Yeah, and we will see what happens with VCU. But, Connor, if anyone wasn't already following you from your last appearance on the show, where can everybody find you? The Black Gold Fan Podcast. We're available on Spotify, uh, iPod, or iTunes, uh, or yeah, iTunes Podcasts. Uh, we have an Instagram account, Twitter account. Uh, it's myself. I'm a co-host. Uh, Adam Epstein is the main host, uh, alongside my co-host Caleb Jones, Chris Mason. Uh, we were lucky enough to meet a couple, meet both of you guys in uh, in Brooklyn. We had a great time in Brooklyn at the A10 tournament. Um, but yeah, we're about uh, about six months into our podcast. We're gonna have a few this summer. We're gonna have one next week for sure. So this is Wednesday of Wednesday before the Final Four. Sometime next week after Odom's official now. But we're gonna kind of see what happens in the portal for internally for VCU players in the next few days and kind of chat a little more. Um, but yeah, give us a follow on Spotify. Give us a, a follow on Instagram. Uh, take a look at our Twitter account. Still kind of new to the game, but all big basketball fans. And um, I'll be honest, we watch a lot of A10 basketball. The USA Network commercials from the A10 tournament. I mean, I thought they were telling us every guy that watches A10 basketball is bald. Every single it's just the amount of like uh, hair hair uh, hair loss commercials were cracking us up. Um, but yeah, big BCU fans, big A10 basketball fans. And um, as always, I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, everyone be sure to go follow Connor, listen to the podcast. They will have all of the great analysis, even deeper in on Ryan Odom than we can go. So be sure to go listen to that. And Connor, thank you for joining us again. Thanks. All right, VCU, not the only school to change coaches. In fact, technically all three Virginia schools switching coaches in the last week. Um, a quick moment here to shout out Chris Mooney, who earlier today returned officially back to his job as the coach of Richmond. So he will retake the helm there as Ryan Odom steps in across town. And up on the northern part of the state, Kim English leaving George Mason for Providence after two years. And it's not that surprising I think we all kind of figured from day one that this ended with Kim English leaving for a better job. But the timeline is shocking. 
Yeah, I can't say I expected it to happen this year. Before before we get too deep into Kim English and uh, that story, just the whole Ed Cooley to Georgetown. Uh, hilarious. Like the Providence fans reaction going within the same conference. Like he kind of you know, didn't leave on the best terms after a really successful run there. But yeah, Providence going uh, kind of the George Mason route with an up and comer. And uh you know, we, I think a couple months ago when we were talking about, well, I don't know if there's going to be any coaches good enough besides Rhodes or attractive enough to move up to a higher job. Like you said, we knew this would happen someday, but after two years, caught me off guard. I didn't think going into this season that if English had a great year, he'd move up yet. And the guy finished fifth and ninth in his two years of head coaching. And like, Look, I'm not going to call this a bad hire. I've pondered this around for a week and a half, and under no circumstance can I call it a bad hire. It is a gutsy hire. It is a very risky hire because he hasn't proved that he can win games. He hasn't proved himself as an in-game coach. But you look at it, college coaching at this point is basically five facets. Two of those... He's already great at, at age, what is he, 33, 34. He's a fantastic recruiter, and he is a great promoter. And I don't even know if he does the second one intentionally or not. It might just be natural. But he's going to win every press conference. He's going to win every offseason that he's at Providence. He's going to keep bringing in talent. He's going to fire up the fans. You saw the stuff he did at the end of the season where he – was trying to come up with different ways to get the George Mason students to show up, and it worked. This is a guy who's going to generate excitement. And, I mean, we haven't done this that long. We haven't interacted with exactly a ton of coaches in our lives, but between just, like, being a kid, going to games, going to basketball camps, the coaches we've talked to doing this, I've, I've interacted with a few handfuls of them. Kim English is absolutely the friendliest of any of them by a country mile. We got to talk to him last summer and he is like, I get it. I get that when this guy walks into your living room, you want to go play for him. And by the way, look, Joshua Duro put his name in the transfer portal two years ago, not after Dave Paulson got fired, but after Kim English got hired, he waited to see who the coach was and then decided he was going to leave. And Kim English cultivated such a great relationship with him that he followed him to Providence in a day. He didn't even check with other schools in the portal. He bolted and went with him. And so you're getting a guy who, if we're filling out the Jack Donaghy wheel of domination, he's got two of the, two of the pegs already completely filled in. And by the way, a third one, building a culture... We haven't gotten to see it long-term yet. We haven't gotten to see if players want to stick with him for a full four or five years, but that's certainly trending in the right direction as well. I just think it's so funny, and I I don't want to take away from Kim English's coaching abilities because he did, like, even though it was kind of two middle-of-the-pack seasons at George Mason, he was getting a higher caliber level of player to the A-10 um, keeping Oduro was huge. He got the fans engaged, but I feel like his first week at Providence has exactly mirrored 
when he took the George Mason job. Like already the Providence fans are engaged. He is the number one hype man in college oh basketball. He's the guy you want representing your program. It's He's just play one-on-one with a guy to keep him out of the transfer. Portal. I know. Like, and that's the, the same. Agreed to it. I, it's like the same thing that happened with Oduro and it's amazing really, but it's just the, I feel like for Providence, like, like when George Mason hired him, the stakes were pretty low. They were bad for 10 years. They were coming off, you know, just an underwhelming era of basketball with Dave Paulson. Providence is in a way different situation. They're in a top three conference in college basketball with a, a school that's made the tournament, what, probably seven out of the last 10 years, a really good situation. So it's just up to him to keep it going. And I, I'm really excited to see what happens. I mean, it's it's a thing you want. Like, it's the same thing we could have said about VCU. You want your coaches to be moving up to better jobs if you're a mid-major, or at least that's not a bad thing if it happens. I just think the timing for George Mason after it just being two years is a little bit strange. And I, I still think him being with the Patriots for two years, I think that helps the school. I'd say the program's in a better spot than it was when they fired Dave Paulson, but just, I, I still can't get over the timing. Well, that's the whole point. Like if you're a George Mason fan, you were fooling yourself when this guy showed up, if he thought he was going to be there seven years. If he was, it probably meant that he was really mediocre, never could get a better job, but just wasn't quite bad enough to get fired. Like, that was the only pathway to him being there long term, and I don't think he ever tried to hide it. But if you had said to a George Mason fan, hey, he's gone for a Big East job within the first three years, your reaction would have been, okay, awesome. I'm so glad we get to see a tournament run out of this guy before he leaves. Yeah, I would have assumed like, at least around he, a 32. He kind of never, like, he never finished the job to, to make this a great tenure at George Mason. If they finished third and made an NIT and then contended for a league title and made an NCAA tournament and then left, I think the Mason fans would take that 100 times out of 100. But it was it was just too quick. Like I'm talking about the five different segments of a head coach. We have no idea if he can in-game coach. And other than a few instances, like he did great work with Ronald Polite, but you literally cannot judge a coach on player development over two years. Like you need to see a full four-year cycle to see if they're good at that. Like we can't even say that he's bad. We literally have no idea. It's still filled in as an incomplete. Like, he hasn't even taken the test yet. It, it was two okay seasons. That's about all we can say. And you're right. We don't really know. I, I do have to wonder, though. I, I think one of the big developments that I personally wasn't aware of, and you have to wonder how this is going to affect things the next couple of weeks. George Mason doesn't have an athletic director right now. And I would have to imagine that's something that English was getting a little bit fed up with. Between that, just the lack of their fan engagement was better the two years he was there, but it's still not great. I mean, they have an empty arena at a lot of their games that's too big. And now he's going to one of the most passionate fan bases in his region. So I, 
I think that's going to make things a little bit challenging for George Mason moving forward. It seems like their former player and current, I believe, Maryland assistant, Tony yep. Skin, is the the favorite right now to take the job. But their just whole athletic department situation is definitely making things a little bit harder for the school, you would think. Yeah, I mean, I guess he's the favorite. That's the only name that's really been connected with them. There was the Virginia assistant, Jason Williford, who, when it sounded like English was going to leave, and by the way, I have since forgotten to say this, but you you said earlier, have we ever seen a coach leave and then immediately it sounds like we know who their replacement is going to be? Yeah, we did. That's exactly what happened with Providence a week and a half ago. Like as soon as Ed Cooley was out the door, we started hearing that Kim English was going to be the guy. It was instantaneous. So yeah, this like is, two hours at least, but yeah. I was about as quick as Ryan Odom. Like, but yeah, yeah we, then as soon as English, as soon as it looked like English was going to be gone, we heard Willa Ford. And then one of those search season accounts, I think it was the samurai guy said earlier today that that's not going to happen. And I'd love to talk more about George Mason. But we're going to have to save that for the next episode because Unless it's Tony Skin, we have no idea. I mean, like, and to make the third Petey Buckets tweet reference of this episode, he compared George Mason's athletic department to Dunder Mifflin Scranton earlier. Well, right now, this is the moment where Creed's the interim manager. Like, you literally haven't had someone in charge of your athletic department for over a year now. And, like... This is the equivalent of driving the convertible out to the parking lot and just throwing the keys to the invisible valet. Like at some point, you you kind of have to have an AD to make decisions, whether the, whether your AD is competent or not, whether your interim AD is competent. Like a coach doesn't want to take a job if they don't know who their boss is going to be. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's. Uh... We'll see. I mean, this coaching search is, it almost feels like it's taken an eternity because just with VCU and a lot of these things have been turned around so quickly. So I I feel like we can't really say too much else about it until we hear about any other candidates. I mean, I know people are posting that there goes Mark Schmidt meme every time a job gets opened. I don't think they're going to go within the conference. But uh, yeah, just that I think we all kind of knew there was a chance VCU was going to open up. But man, I I still, I'm just speechless. Yeah, well, I got one more thing that I want to say on the coaching searches. And to wrap up the George Mason discussion, we talk about how risky this is for DePaul. And I'll I'll save the baseball analogy that involved comparing Kim English to Pedro Alvarez. But... Rob Doster, who, let's be honest, definitely shilling for Kim English. No secret that they are friends. He calls him Kimmy. But as he was praising Providence for the decision, he said one thing that sounded a little outlandish. And the more I think about it, the more I realized it's basically the justification for why Providence made the move. And he simply said, this is a guy that in three years you might not be able to get. And that's a heavy might. He's still got a lot to prove. 
But like I said, he's already nailed two of those five facets. And if he puts together the rest of this stuff, that guy's on a trajectory to a blue blood eventually. Or maybe even just back to his alma mater in Missouri. But if he was as great at George Mason as he theoretically could be at his ceiling, then yeah, he would have been too good to take the Providence job. He would have been going to Georgetown instead. And so it's a big risk, and it's a big risk for a program that's had a lot of success the last few years, but hasn't hit their ceiling under Cooley. So we'll see. Uh, This could be an epically awful flame out, or he could take them to multiple late weekends in the tournament. It's going to be, I think this is going to be one of the most fascinating next three years to watch in college basketball. Do you think Providence was comfortable with the hire because of all the success they've had poaching from the A-10? Because we already know Jared Bynum, Luan Pipkins, Clifton Moore, Ed Crosswell, that now they have Oduro and Justin Fernandez, like, the Atlantic 10 is a farm system for the Providence Friars. And I mean, they also poached Rick Barnes from George Mason, although that was like two, two or three decades before they were in the A-10. But Yeah, how about also, since we already mentioned him earlier, I thought it was a fun couple of hours when the Providence fans thought they could get Billy Donovan. Like, he's a name, him and Brad. Oh, Stevens. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, that was that was entertaining. Got it. My, my last Providence thought, Jared Bynum's in the portal. I don't understand how that's mathematically possible because we talked about him the no first way. year of this pod. He had to have redshirted a year and we didn't realize it. Well, he transferred to Providence before the portal was a thing. So I he guess sat out a year. Okay. Oh my God. Yeah. Jared Bynum's still. So that would only be his sixth year. That happens sometimes. Yeah. Wow. So. I guess we'll just go a few quick rapid fires here because this episode's already gone pretty long, but just a few other things that happen in terms of player movement. And like, it all seems like gloom and doom. I just kind of want to remind everybody, like no one's come out of the portal yet. Like life sucks for most college basketball fans right now because you're just losing guys. And other than Rhode Island, getting some Juco forward, like no one's committing yet. Loyola got someone. didn't? Yeah. Loyola picked up a a good player from Dartmouth. Uh, That's, that's going to mm-hmm. be a team that will be really interesting to see what they do in the portal. But no one wins the offseason these two weeks. You just try to prevent yourself from losing the offseason. Just kind of a few interesting things. The first one, Mike Sharp jumps going pro. Like, I just, this is one where I really hope that this is something he wanted to do. And he didn't just go hire an agent who's just already ready for his commission to get cut. Because that dude needs to just go somewhere where he gets to develop. Maybe that's a low-level protein that's filled with 19 and 20-year-olds somewhere in like France. Like go play for that team when Ben Yama's on right now where they're trying to develop young guys. But he needs to play minutes, make a lot of mistakes, and learn how to be more aggressive. And that's it's the kind of guy that has a really promising career. But I think fear that if he ends up in the wrong situation right now, it might go to waste way too early. He just needed to be in college, just screwing up and also making spectacular plays next year. I mean, he kind of did that for a while at Dayton, but but, he just didn't do it anywhere near the scale. He should have. But my question, and I always feel like a moron when we talk about the professional game, like long-term, do you see him 
if he were to make it into the NBA, would it be as a one or a two? Because I just don't know how many of those minutes he was going to get at Dayton next year. Like Malachi Smith looks like one of the few guys that's actually going to be back. And if he's healthy, he's he's handling the He's a playmaking three. Like that's his destiny anywhere at this point. I just, given his size, you don't have to play him at point guard anyway. And he's a guy that, yes, if he hits his absolute ceiling, could actually make the NBA. But it's like the Kim English discussion. There's still so much. He's got like three more things to prove to us for us to think that he can hit that ceiling. Yeah. Shout out to Anthony Grant and shout out to Dayton for producing two one and duns who averaged a combined 11 points per game. What's Costas Anatokounmpo up to these days? He's in the G League now. Isn't no, he's he? on an insanely good Euro League team. Oh, I, th- starter, I thought he came so. back to the States. Okay. But yeah, I... I'm a little bit surprised that Mike is trying to go pro. I also think that might have been his goal from the beginning. I mean, with the hype and excitement of him coming to play Division One college basketball, like I think it's kind of like Kim English. You, you didn't expect him to stick around four years, but you also thought it might be a little bit longer than he did at the end of the day. Yeah, that sums it up pretty perfectly, but... Another guy who's kind of in limbo right now with Dayton is Deron Holmes. We don't know if he's going to go pro or not. And I always like to point this out because I feel like people who only watch college basketball, just they're kind of missing an element of what it takes to be an NBA player. And so there's a lot of takes out there that, oh, Deron coming back to Dayton does nothing to improve his his draft stock. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. Because he's already a pretty complete player. And him becoming a better shot blocker, a better rebounder, does nothing for his NBA development. What he has to do is develop a decent jump shot and become a better playmaker. That's why Obi was a top 10 pick and why if Deron went pro right now, he's mid-second round at best. Obi was an incredible passer. Nobody, like it, People just didn't appreciate that enough. He was an incredible passer. Deron Holmes needs to be in a situation if he comes back where he has the ball in his hands a ton next year and he has the chance to shoot jumpers. He has the chance to play make because if he develops those things, he could be a late first round pick next year. And that's what's, that's what's getting you into the seven digits with your contracts. That's what's getting you a guaranteed deal. And I know there's some talk of him going to Duke. Don't be idiotic. He should not go to Duke and go be the fifth option where he's just going to keep doing all the stuff he did at Dayton. If he leaves, it needs to be somewhere with a coach who, because remember, Coach K is gone. It's John Shire now. A coach who has a track record of sending bigs to the NBA who is going to be able to feature him. There's three programs that if they come calling, I would put serious thought into it if I was him. Kansas, Michigan State, because you know what his own self can do. If Mike Woodson called him and told him to come to Indiana and I was Holmes, that's the one spot where I'm not sure I even hesitate. Multi-stop NBA head coach and Mike Woodson. You see what he was able to turn Trace Jackson Davis into. Trace Jackson Davis can't shoot either. He's going to be a late first, early second NBA pick. If Mike Woodson can feature Deron Holmes and turn him into the level of passer he is, that dude's an NBA player. 
but I, I hope that Duran and whoever he's listening to is focusing on the coach right now. And who is the coach who's going to care the most about his development and do the most to turn him into an NBA player? That answer very well still could be Anthony Grant. And if it is, then he should stay. I mean, he sent, I just said it, three players over six foot nine to the NBA now, apparently. So I, I don't think Dayton. I mean, shoot, we talked to Duran last summer. Like a big reason he came to Dayton was because of Obi Toppin's success. And we've seen Anthony Grant have success with players like him before. We already know next year's Dayton team, whether Duran stays or goes, it's going to look so much different than this year. And I don't think we can rule it out. We haven't even heard anything from him, what his plans are for next year. So, I, I mean, at the end of the day, he, he needs to do his best for him. And there's certainly going to be schools calling him with the season he just had. But yeah, Duke, that, that would not make as much sense to me. Yeah, and the last disclaimer I want to throw in, I feel like we need to say this every March. This is a guy who, when we talked to him, seemed to really be loving his time at Dayton, just as a student. And, like, these are still college kids. And if you're having a great time at your school after two years, it's kind of hard to just pack up and leave. And maybe Dayton isn't the absolute very, very, very best situation for his future as a pro, but it's still going to be one of the better ones. And you're talking about upgrading from like an A minus to an A plus. And if you're having a great time at that school, it's really tough to leave an A minus for an A plus. And I'm not entirely sure you should. If it was a shitty situation, it's a different conversation, but it's not. And so we'll see what he does, but any other things you wanted to hit on here before we wrap up this lengthy episode? Yeah, we should probably get wrapping it up before I go into the transfer portal. Uh, only other big one, like there's been a high volume of players leaving the eight home. Not too many other superstars. Like the only other big one I can think of, I know the Belk Report guys were tweeting that Sam Menanga sounds like he's graduating from Davidson and going pro. So that's a, that's a pretty big loss for them. I know we're going to... Get excited about Reed Bailey again this summer, and he'll have a much bigger role for the Wildcats. But that one surprised me a little bit. I knew he enrolled at Davidson early, so I guess he had an extra semester in there. But I'll be sad to see him go. I, You, you would know better than me, but it seems like he'd be a great player overseas. He would be an awesome EuroLeague guy if he continues to develop all, all the stuff we just kept talking about. If he continues to develop his shot and his playmaking, with, which are both kind of there, he's an awesome EuroLeague 5. But yeah, I guess I, the other, other one too, just real quick, but we talked about it a little bit before recording. Two of the up-and-coming teams from last year, Fordham and Duquesne, who had surprise seasons and look like they could be pretty good. Correct me if I'm wrong, but no one's transferred from those two schools. There have been some key graduations. And certainly those teams will have some holes to fill, but that's pretty meaningful to me too, that two teams on the rise are keeping a lot of their court intact. Duquesne is the safest bet to finish top four right now as things stand, given that we don't know what's going to happen with VCU's roster. Nothing has gone wrong for them in these two weeks where you're trying, like I said, to just not lose the offseason. 
And the fact that things are this good makes me very nervous. As it should. Because Duquesne does not have good things happen like this. But right now, this offseason could not have possibly gone better for the Dukes. And really the only thing that could have gone better for Fordham is if we got any news as to whether or not Kyle Rose is going to use his extra year. But Antrell Charlton's coming back. Ergo got that one year tacked on to the end of his deal. Um, some other things. Cam Brown's coming back to St. Joe's for his fifth year. They have lost nobody right now. It's another good that one. That offense is going to be absolutely dynamite next season. We'll talk about their defense 83 more times between now and the start of the season and whether or not they can fix that. And then Gibson Jimerson's going to come back to St. Louis, which to me keeps them out of the pillow fight, like guaranteed. They now have an established lead scorer, and there's enough random talent there that I think this now gives them a pretty safe floor right around the middle of the league. But the last thing I want to mention here, I want to spend this final minute to talk about one of our fallen former A-10 brothers. Because Temple is a disaster now. And I'm not sure there's ever been a program that has been single-handedly destroyed by their own university in a 10-year span the way Temple has. Like, we're talking about all these places Mike Rhodes could have gone 10 years ago. If that temp- if Temple and Penn State open up at the same time, I think Mike Rhodes goes to Temple. I really do. And at this point, like, you don't even call him if you're the Owls. Like, it's not worth the 45 seconds of him picking up and politely telling you no. And now there's all this stuff, like, apparently they didn't want Matt Langle from Colgate because... He had never coached a pro. We know who that's awesome for. St. Joe's and LaSalle. Because if Lang flames out this year or Dunphy retires at the end of the season, guess where Matt Langle's going? To one of those two teams. And I think they'll snap him up in a heartbeat. But their, their university president quit in the middle of the search. They lost the guy that they offered the job to from Missouri because he didn't know who the school president was going to be. Like... Temple 10 years ago was what VCU is now, where the snap of your fingers, they could have called someone at Ryan Odom's level and just grabbed them. And now they're getting like the runner, the third runner up for the Penn State job. Yeah, I I consider myself a pretty big college basketball fan, and I see some of the candidates that they're looking at. It's just like, who? Like, you would think Temple just back when they were in the A 10, they were such a bigger name. And you want to talk about someone who hasn't recovered from conference realignment. I think they've made one tournament since they left the A-10, and it was Dunphy's last year. Yeah, and it's funny right now, the two best coaches in the Big Five are pretty clearly Fran Dunphy and Steve Don- Steve Donahue. So shout out to LaSalle and Penn right there. Uh, don't think any of us expected to be saying that in this decade. But... Yeah. We can end it with the Kyle Neptune jab. I'm here yeah, for that. That does it. Um, we had no episode last week, so we give you a nice little double episode here. Um, we'll be back next week if George Mason hires a coach. If not, we'll be kind of just bouncing in and out maybe every other week as we just compile these roster updates. So be sure to come back and listen. Everyone, be sure to go follow Connor and listen to the Black and Gold Fan Pod. Another thank you to him for joining us. Thank you to all of you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please give us five stars on iTunes. 
go give us a follow at the number three bid league pod. That is essential right now more than ever because it's not our random in-game takes. It is essential retweets about all of these transfers in the rosters. We will be your one-stop shop for keeping track of all the movements. So be sure to go give us a follow if you haven't already.